Children can be dismissed. Turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 7. And uh, if you don't have a Bible, there is one in the pew. You're welcome to use that. Matthew chapter 7, verses 15 through 20. And uh, continuing, this is the last of this particular message. I have another message next week as we continue on the idea of what Jesus is talking about here in false prophets and just some of the organization and, and disciplines that God has given uh, in the identification of a false prophet. And so Matthew chapter 7 in our Bibles this evening, uh, verse 15, Matthew seven fifteen. Would you follow along with me as I read? Verse 15, Matthew 7. Beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. Ye shall know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes of thorns or figs of thistles? Even so, every good tree bringeth forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Every tree that bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast in the fire. Wherefore, by their fruits ye shall know them. When the massive Hurricane Charlie slammed into Florida in the year 2004 with 145 mile an hour winds, it destroyed more than 12,000 homes. A later study by a group of insurance companies found that almost all of those homes had something in common, those that were destroyed. They had been built prior to the year 2001. In that year, 2001, a strict new building code was adopted, which required homes to be strengthened to withstand hurricane force winds. Jeff, Bil Jeff Burton, excuse me, building code manager for the Institute for Business and Home Safety said, there is very, very strong evidence that buildings built under the 2001 code that were built properly and inspected fared much better than buildings that were built prior. The building code as it exists today did its job. There's a reason for the building code, and those who follow it find that it works. The same is true for the Word of God. When we view the Bible and the things it tells us to do or not to do as a set of restrictions that limit what we can do, we are tempted to resent the commandments of God. Many people completely abandon any pretense of holiness or godly living because they don't want to be tied down by rules. Yet when the storm winds blow, those who have not built their lives according to God's code find themselves facing destruction and ruin. Proverbs 19, 16, He that keepeth the commandment keepeth his own soul, but he that despiseth his ways shall die. We're going to talk again here on this idea of holiness. Uh, you know, and there are those that may speak of legalism. And the requirements, again, uh, of what things you need to do to somehow appease God and, and have Him recognize you. And, and, and that's not what I'm talking about. Holiness is not a set of rules. Now, you do follow God's commands, but it's the heart behind why you're doing what you're doing. Because if you're just doing it to somehow get God's attention, then you're out of mechanical or out of duty, like I've got to do it, then God's not going to be pleased with it. God doesn't want us just to do it because we have to. He wants our heart behind it. And the pride that is innate or that is, uh, comes from the heart of these false prophets, uh, they, don't, they hate holiness because holiness will root out the vile heart of these false prophets. It's going to show them for who they are. And righteousness and holiness demand obedience to Scripture out of a love. Holiness is this idea here, uh, you know, in 1 Thessalonians 4, 7. For God hath not called us unto unholiness, or uncleanness, excuse me, but unto holiness. God's saying, listen, I don't want you to just go through life and do it by your own rules. I've got a way, I want you to do it, but I want you to want to do it. When I do things for my wife, uh, sometimes she'll ask me, you know, sometimes, you know, I might be selfish that day, and she's asking me to do it, and I'm like, okay, I'll do it. But then there's other times she asks me to do it, man, I'm joyfully doing it. There's a condition of my heart where I'm desiring that I want to do it because of my love and affection for her. And the same thing for God. You know, in Ephesians 4, 24, and that ye put on the new man, 
which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. God has called the Christian to have a life that is significantly different from the world. Our, our actions ought not to be the very thing that are going to, I mean, when someone sees you as a Christian, they ought to say, there's someone that loves God. You're different. You're not looking like the world. You know, in Romans chapter 6, verse 19, I speak after the manner of men because of the infirmity of your flesh. For as ye have yielded your members, servants to uncleanness and to iniquity and to iniquity, even so now yield your members, servants to righteousness and to holiness. He's call, he says, listen. Church of Rome, here's people, you've been living in uncleanness. You've been living in ways that are displeasing to the Lord. There's uncleanness, there's iniquity. I mean, you're transgressing, you're trespassing over the boundaries that God has set. And he says, now I want you to yield your body, your members, as servants to righteousness. God, I want to do your ways. Because a righteousness unto holiness, that's purity and perfection. And, and God's desire is that we would be pure. Well, the Pharisees of Jesus' day, just as they do today, they put an emphasis on external religious actions to somehow increase God's favor. But they don't deal with the heart. In Matthew 12, 34, Jesus says, O generation of vipers, how can ye, being evil, speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaketh. And the men to whom Jesus is speaking, they, they were well-versed in the Scriptures. They knew the Scriptures. I mean, they knew the law. They knew the Bible, as, as much Bible as they had at the time. But religiosity and following all these rules is not the same as holiness. If you're only doing it because that's what a, if you have to do it, then you're following a mechanical religion. And man, Christianity is a burden. It's painful. But if you're doing it because there's a love and affection for the Lord, it makes an entire difference. Because you're doing for God out of a desire of the heart, not because you feel like compelled you have to do it. Luke chapter 6, verse 45. Good man out of the good treasure of his heart bringeth forth that which is good. And an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart bringeth forth that which is evil. For of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaketh. The very things coming out of our mouth are not clean, they're not Christian, they're not pure. What we're showing is that our heart is not pure. There's unholiness. A little commentary here, but two aspects of holiness in the Christian life. There are two ways a Christian can be holy. Positionally and practically. There's, external, there's eternal holiness and temporal holiness. Absolute and progressive. The Christian is perfectly holy before God because of eternal position in Christ. So positionally, I'm holy because I've asked the Lord Jesus Christ as my Savior. So I, I'm no longer under the condemnation. But practically, at, he is becoming holy in a practical sense day by day as he conforms to the image of Christ. If you call yourself a Christian, he who is like Christ, right, Christ-bearer, then I want to be conformed to the image of Christ. When others look at me, I want them to see the Lord Jesus Christ. That's my desire. That's my, and now I understand we're all in a, in a growth process. But a false prophet is detected by the holiness, or lack thereof, of their followers. Now the followers who are following these false prophets, their lifestyles will be no different than this world. They're going to be uh, you know, drawn into this world, wanting to be like this world, enjoy the enticements of this world. They're not going to want to make a separation and say, I love Jesus and I don't want to do that. My friend, as we think on these very truths this evening, unmasking the costumed uh, wolves or predators, we must have a desire for holiness. And I've gone through this. Let's pray, and we'll continue our study and pick up where we left off. Our Father, I thank you for this evening. And Lord, I, I do need your help. As I speak my thoughts, that they would be pleasing to Thee, and I ask that You'd guide every word that I speak, or that You direct our hearts to be holy as You are holy, as You've called us. Father, I love You, and I thank You for this evening. We do pray for Your presence and strength and power. 
Father, we pray that you'd encourage and exhort us and challenge us where we need it. And Father, go before us. We love you. Thank you for being our precious Savior. Father, thank you for never giving up on us. Lord, you're a marvelous Savior. I love you. As we come to this time, may you be glorified. May you be pleased. In Jesus' precious name I pray. Amen. The Bible told us about a need for caution. It told us about the principle of holiness and the fact in Exodus chapter 15, verse 11, who is likened to thee, O Lord, among the God who is gods, excuse me, who is like thee glorious in holiness, fearful and praises doing wonders. You see, <clears throat> God's nature is holiness without any imperfection, without any impurity. God's pure. He's perfect, and He is the standard with which all of us are uh, striving for. We're not trying to be better than someone else, or, you know, we're not comparing ourselves to another person. My standard of comparison is God, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, in Psalm 93, 5, thy testimony is a very sure, holiness becometh thine house. The very, the very habitation of God is holiness. His rulership, God sitteth upon the throne of his holiness. Our command in holiness is relative to God. 1 Peter 1, 16, because it is written, be ye holy, for I am holy. So this whole aspect of a desire to be conformed to the image of Christ has no bearing on what anyone else is doing. My holiness is absolutely based off of the absolute perfect standard of God. That's what I'm striving for. Now, again, when we're striving for holiness, it's not, again, it's not, well, I'm better than so-and-so, and I'm better than, it's not, again, that brings in the pride and we kick out the holiness. And God's desire, he says, give, in 1 Chronicles 16, 29, give unto the Lord the glory due unto his name, bring an offering and come before him, worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. You realize this is also the preacher's message. As we would find in Leviticus, now I understand Leviticus, you would have the priest, ye shall therefore be holy, for I am holy. And then in Leviticus, look with me at Leviticus chapter 11. God has called all of us, now this is Old Testament, but it still applies uh, in the New Testament in the principles, and I'll show you where it applies. But Leviticus chapter 11, God has a, there's to be a difference. If our lives are no different than the world in, in how we're acting and how we're uh, interacting and all of these things, then what we're showing is number one, I'm either unholy and I don't, and I'm not, I don't want to honor the Lord, or we're not saved. Because in our desire of our heart, sin's going to bother us. I mean, it's going to grieve the Spirit of God, and we can do it for a while, but man, it's going to tear us up inside. Like, man, I, you know, and, and, until we finally come to that recognition. In Luke chapter 11, verse 45, For I am the Lord that bringeth you up out of the land of Egypt, to be your God. Ye shall therefore be holy, for I am holy. This is the law of the beast and of the fowl and of every living creature that moveth in the waters and, out of, and of every creature that creepeth upon the earth to make a difference between the, clean and the, and between the unclean and the clean and between the beast that may be eaten and the beast that may not be eaten. He says to make a difference between the unclean and the clean. Again, just because a Christian is striving for holiness doesn't mean he's any better than anyone else. We're all fallen creatures. We are all sinners. But the desire is, because I love God, I want to be true to Him. I want to be faithful to Him. You know, I, I wear a wedding ring to say I'm separate unto one woman. That woman is my wife, Rebecca. I'm separated and as, as a Christian, I want to show that I'm different, that I'm God's child. I'm not Satan's child, I'm God's child. Look with me at 1 Thessalonians 4, 7, a very same, similar sentiments. Again, if we get to the position in our lives where we begin to evaluate and, and start to look at others, uh, in this idea of being better, it's not better. <laughs> it's the idea that we are all want to be like Christ. 
because I love him. It would be like a young child saying, I want to be like my mom, or I want to be like my dad. I want to, I want to mimic them. I want to follow them, their example. And for my example, I would many times think of my grandmother, who had a very godly testimony. She came out of a very evil lifestyle, grandma and grandpa. And, but grandma was, when I grew up, she was, if I would say, my example of Christianity. I know grandma was a praying woman. I know grandma was in the word of God. She was on her knees at night praying for me. And I'd hear my name uh, prayed out loud as she would. Man, that did something to me as a young child. In 1 Thessalonians 4, 7, that every one of you should know how to possess his vestal in sanctification and honor. Oh, that's uh, verse 4, but that works too. Verse 7, for God hath not called us unto uncleanness, but unto holiness. We know, I mean, God's Spirit, if you're a Christian, He's going to convict you saying, this is not right. I'd like you to look with me at additional passage of Scripture, 2 Corinthians chapter 6. The principle of holiness is a mandate. It is a command of the Lord. God's desire for our lives is to be pure and holy. And we can't escape, you can't get away from this because God's desire, and, and, and it's so important, I want you to read this passage of Scripture with me, 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 16. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 16. The Bible speaks in what agreement, verse 16, and one agreement hath the temple of God with idols, for ye are the temple of the living God. As God hath said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you, and will be a father unto you, and ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. God says, come out from among them. He's saying the very individuals who are ungodly, God says, I don't want that to be your closest companions. He says, I want you to be separate. Now, we're in the world, we're not of the world. I'm not talking as a Christian, we live up in a, you know, Timbuktu up in the mountains, all secluded from everyone else. That's not what God's called us to either. Because the Lord Jesus Christ was there with the people that were hurting and he was there ministering. So I'm not saying this ascetic lifestyle and you're all by yourself, you're denying your body and your life is miserable and you're just like, ah, I want to be separate. That's not what I'm talking about. But God says be different, separated, because I'm loving the Lord Jesus Christ and it's evident on my life. Look with me at 2 Corinthians 7, 1. Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Now, we're, we're, this perfection here is a maturing. He says, get rid of all filthiness of the flesh. You know those things that you know are wrong, and attitudes and thoughts and the, the very actions. He says, get rid of that. Now, it's impossible for us to do it in our own strength. You're going to be like, oh, I'm trying to be good, I'm trying to be, and I just keep falling and I'm falling and I'm falling, and I can't do this. This whole Christian life, it's impossible. Well, it is. Because if you're trying to be good with own fleshly power, you're not going to have it. You need the Spirit of God as you yield yourself unto Him in order to overcome these fleshly desires. It's the Spirit of God as you yield and you spend time in His Word and as you uh, obey what He calls you to do, that He gives you the strength to overcome fleshly desires to help you to be holy. God's the one that does the transformation as you yield. As I mentioned this morning, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. That are in, the world. in Ephesians chapter 4, look with me at Ephesians 4. The best citizens in society ought to be Christians. They're the ones that can be accounted. I mean, if they say they're going to be there, they're going to be there. If, I mean, they're best citizens in society ought to be the Christians. In, first, uh, excuse me, in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 21, 
If so be that ye have heard him and have been taught by him, as the truth is in Jesus, that ye put off concerning the former conversation the old man. The old man is the person prior to you accepting Christ. You know the selfish person, the person who lives for themselves, lives for their emotions, lives for whatever they want to do. The old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lusts. And be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that ye put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness. That word righteousness is doing what is right and pleasing before the Lord. Created in righteousness and true holiness. You see, our, our desire... Now, as a Christian, I get to stand, and one day we'll come back with the Lord Jesus Christ writing back during the, at the end of the tribulation period. We'll come back in white robes. We'll be pure. But practically, in a daily basis, our aspirations and greatest desire is that I want to be pleasing with Him with no separation in relationship. I don't want there to be ought. I don't want there to be problems. The Bible very clearly tells us there in 1 Peter 1, 15 and 16, but it tells us, be holy for I am holy. Go back with me to Malachi chapter 2, and then we're going to come to our main passage of Scripture this evening, uh, or where I'm going to do a more lengthy uh, discussion this evening. Uh, Malachi chapter 2, verse 11. Malachi is the last book before the book of Matthew. Uh, in your Bible, it's the last of the minor prophets. Malachi chapter 2, verse 11. Verse, let's look at verse 10. Have, not, have we not all one Father? Hath not one God created us? Why do we deal treacherously every man against his brother? By profaning the covenant of their fathers. You see, years prior to this book of Malachi, and, and Malachi's prophet, as a prophet, Israel had made a covenant with God that they would obey the Lord, they'd follow Him, they'd love Him, they'd serve Him, they'd listen to Him, they would follow in the ways that God wanted them to do. But they profaned it. They made that just like, oh, okay, whatever, that's just tradition. See, tradition takes many times what God calls us to do, and it just brings it down to an everyday, okay, that's just what Christians do. We read the Bible, we pray, you know, we go to church, da-da-da-da-da. Those are good things, but if you're just doing it because you have to, you're profaning it. You're just making light of it. My desire in assembling together, my desire in reading the Word of God is I want to spend time with them, and I want to hear God's Spirit speak to me, and I want, you know, as we're praying, we want to commune with the Lord and His Spirit with my spirit. I mean, God wants to do something here. In verse 11, Judah hath dealt treacherously, and an abomination is committed in Israel and in Jerusalem. For Judah hath profaned, they profaned what? The holiness of the Lord which he loved, and hath married the daughter of a strange God. Judah would end up going into idolatry, and they would end up saying, hey, if it feels good, follow it. And he says, you've profaned, you have made light of, you've made just common the holiness of God. We think of God in heaven, oh yeah, 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 he's so far above us, he doesn't really care, he doesn't really worry about all my daily things. I'm telling you, that is a, that's profane thinking, because we are taking what God has called in the utmost of reverence and respect, and we've just put it on the level of everything else. Can you imagine potentially going into Buckingham Palace in, you know, your grungy clothes, You've been out in the pig pen, you're all dirty, or out in the bush, you're all dirty. I don't know if there's any bush nearby, but you go in there all dirty, work, maybe you're working on a car and oils. I, I don't, we would not conceive of the idea of going to Buckingham Palace in such, uh, you know, unless, you know, you're working there or something, but we wouldn't, I, you know, if you're invited there, you would think, wow, what an honor. Maybe not, but. But for many, this idea, I mean, you're, you're entering into the holy of holies. Perfection, absolute purity, without any error. 
What happens today, as we find in Jeremiah chapter 28, this is where we'll spend some time here in Jeremiah 28, and Jeremiah was up against a prophet named Hananiah, and Babylon has come, the children of Judah are being taken captives here, and you have these prophets who are prophesying, trying to encourage the people in hope. But they're trying to encourage them in hope in a way that is outside of God's directions. In Jeremiah chapter 28, verse 1, And it came to pass the same year, in the beginning of the reign of Zedekiah king of Judah, in the fourth year and in the fourth month, that Hananiah the son of Azar, the prophet, which was of Gibeon, spake unto me in the house of the Lord, in the presence of the priests and of all the people, saying. So Hananiah, here's Jeremiah, here's Hananiah, and Hananiah is speaking before all the people. He's trying to gain an audience. He's trying to gain. Jeremiah has been preaching, and the people are like, Jeremiah, keep your mouth shut. We don't like what you're saying, Jeremiah. We don't like what you're doing. We, I mean, they hated Jeremiah. And then verse, uh, verse 2, Thus speaketh the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, saying, I have broken the yoke of the king of Babylon. You know, and, and Hananiah goes on to speak on the Lord's behalf. He says, listen, God's broken Babylon's yoke. You know, and we would be thinking, woohoo! I mean, if we're being taken captive into another land uh, by, a, by an invading country, and you are going to be taken as a prisoner of war into that country or whatever, you know, you're going to be thinking, hallelujah, we're out of here, we're going home. But what happens when you learn that those words that are spoken on God's behalf are not true? That's going to be devastating. I must be sure that the words that I'm speaking are of the Lord. Great certainty of those words. And Jeremiah knows exactly what he's saying is of God. And this priest wants to defile God's holiness and speak on God's behalf words which God has not given. And just because he holds the title of prophet, he takes advantage of that. Verse 3, within two full years will I bring again into this place all the vessels of the Lord's house that Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, took away from this place and carried them to Babylon. I mean, here's a bold declaration. Jeremiah said 70 years. He said, settle down in Babylon. Set up your houses. Marry. Have kids. You're not going anywhere soon. God's called it for 70 years in Babylon. Hananiah says, in two years we're going home. I mean, you're a little optimistic. You're like, woohoo, I'm going home. I'm out of here. We just got to count down the days, 700 and whatever days, 730 days or something like that. Uh, we're going home. We're out of here. I mean, that's going to give you a false hope. False prophets give false hope. And instead of calling, and a false prophet, he says, listen, here's a great message. And man, it's going to stir your heart. You're going to be encouraged. You're going to be excited. But he doesn't call the people to repentance. He doesn't call them to get right with God. He just says, hey, God's, God's going to open up the treasures and you're going to find some wonderful things happening. You're going to be encouraged and excited. Oh, man, we're going home. He doesn't say the reason why we're in captivity is because we've been living in idolatry. But Jeremiah does. That's why they want to kill him. I mean, Jeremiah had an entire ministry that people hated him because he preached God's word and said, you need to repent. Hananiah is a feel-good preacher. You see, there's pleasure in a false prophet's message for a season. But the harm comes down the road. If I give a false hope, then the message comes from me and not the word of God. In verse 4, and I will bring again to this place Jeconiah, the son of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, with all the captives of Judah that went into Babylon, saith the Lord, for I will break the yoke of the king of Babylon. He again talks about this. He's this I mean, there's an animosity. Hananiah and Jeremiah, they're going back and forth between each other. There's a tremendous battle between this false prophet Hananiah and Jeremiah, God's chosen servant. I mean, he even in verse... Uh, five. Then the prophet Jeremiah said unto the prophet Hananiah in the presence of the priests and the presence of all the people. 
stood in the house of the Lord, even the prophet Jeremiah said, Amen, the Lord do so. The Lord perform thy words which thou hast prophesied to bring again the vessels of the Lord's house and all that is carried away captive from Babylon into this place. Jeremiah says, hey, hallelujah, you know, that would be wonderful. I mean, he says it before all the priests. Then he comes with some words that are not so encouraging. In verse 7, Nevertheless, hear thou now this word that I speak in thine ears and the ears of all the people. The prophets that have been before me and before thee of old prophesied, both against many countries and against great kingdoms of war and of evil and of pestilence. You realize that the message, even prior to Jeremiah, of the other prophets, they said, listen, judgment's coming. Judgment's coming because we're an unholy people. We've got idolatry. We've neglected the Lord. We've neglected the Word of God. Jeremiah's heart, he says, listen, I want the best for you. Man, just repent. And maybe in God's mercy, He'll hold back some of the judgment He's going to put against you. I mean, this is Jeremiah. He's broken over his people in the direction they're going. In verse 9, the prophet which prophesieth of peace, when the word of the prophet shall come to pass, then shall the prophet be known that the Lord hath truly sent him. Here's the, I mean, and I'm going to talk about this some more next week, but if a prophet makes a prophecy that doesn't come true, they're not a true prophet. You realize that's the very things of the Seventh-day Adventists, the Mormons, the Jehovah's Witnesses, all of their founders would make prophecies that the world was ending and that such, and th such a things were happening that never happened. They proved they were not of the Lord. Now, a message may not be popular, but if it is God's Word, then it's true, and it will be the true path back to the, to the Lord and a peace-filled life. We must evaluate the message on the history of God's Word. And Jeremiah, I mean, he stands up because he says, listen, if this man is preaching a message of hope, but a message of hope that's, if you want to say, divorced from holiness, divorced from the reason for the judgment, then they're giving a message that is not of the Lord. The reason we're many times that we may be suffering certain things in our lives is because our lives are at odds with God. And if someone says, well, God loves you and, and all of this, this is all, yes, He does love you. And in His love, He does correct us. He does work on our lives. He does convict us. He may even go so far as to chastise us, which is a severe discipline. Because God's desire for Judah, He says, listen, I want you back and I want your heart back to me. It's like this idea of, 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 a, of a strange lover. It would be like a man and a woman, and then the man or the woman has a, has a mister or mister, mistress on the side. That's not a good relationship. Jeremiah does something in verse 10. Then Hananiah the prophet took the yoke from off the prophet Jeremiah's neck and break it. He's doing this as a sign to the people of the Lord breaking the yoke off the people. It was not an act commanded or censured by the Lord, but it's the same as the priests and preachers may do today who speak of deliverance ministries. God's going to deliver you. God's going to help you. And He will. But sometimes we've got to understand, I'm in the predicament I'm in because of bad decisions made that are at odds with the Lord. I'm in the trouble I'm in because... I've refused to listen to the Lord. And these charlatans, these false preachers, they don't deal with the sin. And then in verse 11, and Hananiah spake in the presence of all the people, saying, Thus saith the Lord, Even so will I break the yoke of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, from the neck of all nations within the space of two full years. And the prophet Jeremiah went his way. I mean, Hananiah continues his false message. 
Verse 12, Then the word of the Lord came unto Jeremiah the prophet, after that Hananiah the prophet had broken the yoke from off the neck of the prophet Jeremiah, saying, Go and tell Hananiah, saying, Thus saith the Lord, Thou hast broken the yokes of wood, but thou shalt make for them yokes of iron. Hananiah makes a bold assertion again, which is vainly pronounced. These are preachers that may say, if you do this, you'll have health, wealth, and prosperity. You'll have happiness if you'll have enough faith. They are the crooks who let people know they are healed or diseases eliminated, when in fact it's not. Giving people a temporary false hope. Then, when the really hard times come, and people are broken, that preacher said, if I have enough faith, He'll heal me. But the preacher never said maybe the condition you're in could, could be because of sin in your life. It could be that you need to repent and get right with God because there's some things in your life that aren't right. God's, God's not against you. I mean, He's against you in the fact He's allowing judgment and punishment because He wants your heart back. You're His child and He loves you that much. He says, I want you. Then verse 13, there may be a momentary relief of the pain you're going through, but there's going, to be greater, there's going to be greater bondage. You see this placebo preaching, if you would call it. Placebo preaching is, hey, it feels good. I mean, it's like, you know, you're going through a medical trial and they say, try this pill and it's going to heal you. Try this pill and it's going to heal you. We're going to have two sets of groups of people. One group, they just get a sugar pill. And the next group, they get the actual medicine that the people are taking to heal them. And, and then the placebo people make, man, I feel much better after this treatment, not knowing that it's just a sugar pill. The placebo effect, right? It's, you're getting something which you think it is, but it really isn't. So, I mean, it's, it's, it's in your mind. But placebo preaching is really the bane of professing Christianity. These charlatans will prey upon the simple, the downtrodden, the discouraged to gain influence. But they don't influence you towards holiness. Jeremiah says, listen. He says, when Babylon's coming against us, hey, why don't you just submit? Why don't you just surrender? Just say, Babylon, I'm willing to go with you. God says, 70 years you're here. You're not going anywhere soon. Settle down. Get a house. Get married, have a great life, serve the Lord where you're at. That's, and, and you're going to look at Jeremiah's life, and he was actually treated very well in Babylon. But false teaching may gain the crowns, but it doesn't demand a change of life and conformity to the holiness of God. Look with me at Leviticus chapter 10, verses 8 through 11. Leviticus chapter 10, verses 8 through 11. And the Lord spake unto Aaron, saying, Do not drink wine nor a strong drink, thou nor thy sons with thee, when you go into the tabernacle of the congregation, lest ye die. It shall be a statute forever throughout your generations, and that ye may put difference between holy and unholy, and between unclean and clean, and that ye may teach the children of Israel all the statutes which the Lord has spoken to them by the hand of Moses. God says, listen, I want a difference. He says, I don't want the priests drinking wine or alcohol. I don't put the difference in Leviticus 20, 25. The unclean and the clean beasts. Ezekiel chapter 22, 26. I've got two more passages before I come to my conclusion this evening. Ezekiel 22, 26. God is for a believer that is holy. Ezekiel 22, 26. Her priests have violated my law and have profaned my holy things. They put no difference between the holy and the profane. Neither have they showed difference between the unclean and the clean and have hid their eyes from my Sabbath, and I am profaned among them. People look at them and they're like, oh, oh well, he's a god like all the other gods. He's just another, another belief, another religious system. 
But my friend, as you think about this, God is very concerned about our lives. That it be holy and right. My last passage of Scripture for the conclusion this evening in Zechariah chapter 3. You have Zechariah, Malachi, Matthew. So if you go to Matthew and go back two books, Zechariah chapter 3, verse 2. Sometimes the Christian may be seen as a goody-two-shoes, as a Bible-thumper, but it doesn't matter what others may think. Because what really matters is, is my Father pleased with the way I'm living? Is He pleased? Am I living in a way that honors Him? Zechariah chapter 3, verse 2, and the Lord said, in, excuse me, <laughs> verse th- that was verse 3 there, okay, sorry. Uh, verse 3, Now Joshua was clothed with filthy garments and stood before the angel, and he answered and spake unto those that stood before him, saying, Take away the filthy garments from him. And unto him he said, Behold, I have caused thine iniquity to pass from thee, and I will clothe thee with change of raiment. And I said, Let them set a fair mitre upon his head. So they set a fair mitre upon his head and clothed him with garments, and the angel of the Lord stood by. But <clears throat> notice with me, as he's there in the presence of this angel, he says, You've got dirty garments. Dirty garments. I don't want dirty garments. I don't want a dirty life. God says, I want a clean garments. I want pure garments. When we're before the Lord, we're going to be in white robes. We're going to be in right, white garments, white linen of purity and holiness and cleanliness. Not just hygienically clean, but spiritually clean. Holiness is God's expectation of the Christian's life. He expects us to be pure. Ezekiel 44, 23, And they shall teach my people the difference between the holy and profane, and cause them to discern between the unclean and the clean. It is David Sorensen, he says, the greater point in these rules is that the priests are to be an example to God's people of holiness and purity. By their very lifestyles, they are to be an example of that which is right and fitting. Also implies that they are so to teach the people of God, directly training them in holiness and righteousness. You see, Christian today, you might say, well, okay, that's just the Jewish priest. I'm not a priest, so it doesn't really apply to me. Look with me at 1 Peter 2.9. First Peter chapter 2, verse 9. You know what? Sin ought to bother you. If it doesn't, you know, we have to question ourselves, am I really saved? But if, you're, if we're a Christian and we're in sin, it's going, it's, the Spirit of God's going to be grieved. We're not going to be happy. But <clears throat> this idea of priesthood, notice with me here, you're a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. You see, Christian, God says you're a priest. If you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, you're a royal priesthood. That's why we don't need to go to priests anymore. We can go directly to the throne room of God. If you're a Christian, you can pray and talk with God directly. We're a royal priesthood, he says. I've called you out of darkness. I don't want you to live in the darkness. I want you to live in the light. And I'm telling you, Jesus Christ is that light, the perfect light. It's not just like, oh, okay, I saw an angel and I saw a bright light. No, I'm talking the light that Jesus gives. It ought to evidence by the countenance and the attitude of your life. You realize in Ephesians 5.27, speaking about a church, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. God desires for his church to be holy, pure. What is the solution then? God's solution, like Psalm 119.11, Thy word have I hid in mine heart that I might not sin against thee. As I mentioned this morning in the blueprint that God's given to us in the word of God, God says, listen, I've got a solution As Jeremiah said, the Lord's word is repent, and maybe God's mercy will spare upon you. Psalm 37, 31, the law of God is in his heart, none of his steps shall slide. Psalm 40, verse 8, I delight to do thy will, O my God, yea, thy law is within my heart. 
I'm going to hear God's Word. I'm going to take an internalization and I'm going to say, you know what? God's ways are the best. And because I love Him, I'm going to do what He wants me to do because I know He has my best interest at stake. He cares for me. He loves me. He desires that unique relationship that no one else will ever have. Psalm 119, 127, Therefore I love thy commandments above gold, yea, above fine gold. And then Psalm 119, 33, last verse and I'm done. Psalm 119, 133. It says, Psalm 119, 133, Order my steps in thy word, and let not any iniquity have dominion over me. You see, you're either going to be controlled by the Lord or you're going to allow that iniquity to domineer over you. You're going to be, a, if you want to think about it, a servant to something. You're either a servant to the iniquity, or you're a servant and a child of a loving, caring God. So many people are like, I need help out of this particular way I'm going. The goal is, you've got to say, I need Jesus. Not only do I need Jesus for salvation, but I need Him every day, every moment to help my thought line, to help my decision making, to help, my, help me to recover out of those things that seek to bring me into bondage because Satan's desire is to steal, to kill, and destroy. Order by steps in thy word. It's this book that will radically transform life. This book. It's not just reading it, but it's following it, applying it. And it's not like, oh, okay, well, I'm going to do it, check, 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 like a checklist. No, I'm doing it because I understand that there's a God in heaven who made me, created me, has a purpose for my life, and he wants to do something great in my life if I will just listen and follow him. And when you learn that someone loves you, you're willing to listen. It's a whole lot easier to listen. When my grandparents, as a young kid, uh, would tell me to do something, man, I just, you know, and then I'd get that, like, I was kind of like, my grandfather, I'd say something, and I was like trying to, you know, stop what he was saying, and I wanted my idea. Grandpa would give me that look, and then I'm like, okay, I give up. <laughs> I don't want to make Grandpa mad. I just want to follow what Grandpa says. I'm gonna, you know, because I love my grandfather. I love my grandmother. I mean, they just give me that look, and I was like, you know, I just stopped in my tracks because of that affection. And the greatest thing we need to do, first of all, and these false prophets, they're going to tell you a lot of things because they want you to go a course that will feel good and, and, and it's going to give you some hope. But unfortunately, it's only going to be temporary. But God's hope and God's message, yeah, it might hurt at first. It might be uncomfortable at first. But if you're willing to listen and submit to His will, then you're going to be a whole lot better off. If you'll understand, hey, we're in Babylon. God's put me here. Well, I guess I'll just plant where I've been planted. I'm going to bloom where I've been planted. That's the saying, bloom where I've been planted. As you think on these truths tonight, unmasking the costumed predators or the costumed wolves, God's desire for the Christian is holiness, and a false prophet is not going to preach holiness because holiness is not popular. It's actually when Jesus started preaching against sin that the disciples and multitudes went away from him. Christian, our lives ought to be in such a way that God's Word directs how I think and how I act and all that I do. Because I don't want to be controlled and dominated and domineering by, by sin and bondage. I'm telling you, there's a God in heaven that loves you with an everlasting, perfect love. And He has a great plan for your life. If you'll just simply ask Him to forgive you of your sins and be your Savior if you've never been born again. And if you are born again, as a Christian, we ought to desire that I want to please my Father and I want to be pure and holy. If I could have Mrs. Pat come forward this evening for the time of invitation with heads bowed and eyes closed. What do we do during this period of time? If you're new to this, this is just a time to pray and talk with God. His Spirit's been talking with you as the preaching's been coming, I hope. And uh, you just talk with God wherever you are in the quietness of your seat, just quietly with head bowed and eyes closed. You just talk with the Lord. 
This is a period of time. And as the music plays, I encourage you, if you're a Christian, may we desire holiness, purity. You know, we can mess things up, but if we come back and confess our sins, God says you're forgiven and you can be pure. You don't have to live by what happened in the past. God can make you pure again. And if you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, it's not about being good enough. It's not about going to church or going to Mass or being baptized or confessing to a priest. It's between you and God. You understand that you're a sinner. You've done things that have broken God's laws. And in the simplicity, you just ask God, please forgive me. I understand I'm a guilty sinner and I deserve hell. I ask you to forgive me and be my Savior. My friend, if you'll receive that gift by faith, God will forgive you. It's not about being good enough. None of us are good enough to God. None of us. That's just simply asking Him to forgive you and be your Savior. And Christian, I trust in your heart wherever you're seated. And you would say, God, help me to be holy. Help me to be pure. And I'll honor you. My friend, you'll never regret it. Does it, is it difficult at times? Of course, yeah, it can be difficult, but I, you'll have a friend that'll be there. If you need help, man, I'd love to walk with you and help you or someone else here that knows the Lord. They'd love to help you. But holiness is God's desire and standard as He is holy. the music will come to a close here shortly just challenge you on those thoughts I trust we desire holiness because I want to make my father happy have him look down and say well done let's pray dear heavenly father Lord we thank you for this evening we thank you for being our precious savior we thank you for the love that you've given to us and father the purity and Lord I know we mess things up Father, we desire our own paths. But Lord Jesus, I pray tonight that you would just work in our hearts in such a way that you would draw us to be like thyself, to be holy. I pray that you'd give us the wisdom and direction on how to be holy. And so, Father, I yield all this to thee. If there's anyone here this evening or watching that is not saved, Father, I pray they would call out to Christ to forgive them and be gloriously born again. Lord, they can know for sure that heaven's their home, no longer being a child of Satan. They can know Christ. So, Father, I yield this all to Thee. I love You. In the precious and holy name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Amen.